0: Welcome to Black Shoe Diaries, Mattcast. My name is Garrett Carr, and alongside of me is Clay Sowertig. Clay, how are you?
1: I'm good. Uh, happy to be a part of this, and looking forward to our first episode. Yeah, that's
0: right. This is the uh, what we believe to be the first and only podcast specifically dedicated to Penn State wrestling, uh, and that's coverage that this that this program definitely deserves.
1: Long overdue and looking forward to provide this for people and start some hopefully healthy discussion
0: absolutely and in the uh, coming days uh we'll have the feed set up for uh this on iTunes as well as our our host um was as well as our hosting site, which uh you'll find on the Black Tree diaries post obviously um and then we have some other exciting um opportunities lined up in the future um with uh Jason Bryant's website. Uh, In the next month or so, that should be set up. We'll be part of that network of wrestling podcasts. But for now, Clay, uh, we have some not necessarily super new news for Penn State wrestling, but probably the biggest thing that's happened to the program in the last month or so um, was the, uh, the Saturday of the Ohio State football game, October 22nd. Two big commitments from two Class of 2018 studs. Uh, Travis Whitlake, and my favorite wrestler in the whole class, uh, Roman Bravo-Young.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think I was walking around tailgating and got the news around. It was probably mid-afternoon that Penn State had picked up commitments from Whitlake and Young. Two uh, Cadet World team members, Whitlake a Cadet World bronze. Uh, I think it was a kind of a pretty poorly kept secret that Whitlake was favoring Penn State leading up to it. Um, and RBY was kind of out of nowhere for most of us, but two massive, massive commitments, and the train just seems to keep on rolling for Cale, Sanderson and Co.
0: In both uh, Western Time Zone guys, too, right?
1: Yeah, Sunnyside product, and then Arizona, Robin Bravo Young, always nice to uh, pull kids away from Arizona State who are right in their backyard, and then uh, Travis Whitlake out of Oregon, so it really just shows what a national brand Penn State wrestling has become.
0: Yeah, the the wrestling power that is Oregon.
1: <laughs> hey, don't knock the uh, Oregon State beeves They've put out some good product in the last, last five to ten years, but it really, again, just shows what the power Penn State's become when they can just kind of reach across the nation and grab guys they want.
0: And that's setting up to be kind of a monster class for Penn State in that mold of that, uh, that great 2014 class, which featured uh, – Bo Nickel and Jason Knolf and uh Nick Neville's. Um it looks like Kale is is kind of going for something similar here and recruiting a bunch of uh top flight studs.
1: Penn State's kind of uh working on the even year magic. They're, they're kind of stealing it from the uh San Francisco Giants. You saw that 2014 class that you mentioned, the uh 2016 class, which included Mark Hall, Nick Soriano, and um Mason Manville, who actually deferred his enrollment year. And now you see Wintlake and Bravo Young, who are ranked fourth and fifth, respectively, by Flo. And they join Joe Lee, younger brother of Nick Lee, who's number 10 overall by Flow Flo Wrestling for 2018.
0: And for a while, uh, Roman Bravo Young, and top overall prospect in that class, uh, Gable Stevenson had talked about them being a package deal it complicates things because of Nick Neville's little brother, uh, Seth, being, being such a stud at heavyweight, which is uh, obviously where, where Gable Stevenson is, but, you know, Cale's shown before that, you know, he's not necessarily always looking for kids he has connections to, whether it's local or whatever, that he'll go out and get the best wrestler no matter what. So, you know, is there a chance that uh, Gable ends up in, in the blue and white?
1: Mind you, we use the word little brother when referring to Seth Neville's very, very loosely. There's very little about Seth Neville's as little. But um, I can see it. I I don't think Kale or the coaching staff is going to turn Gable away should he decide that he wants to end up in Happy Valley. But I also think that Kale has created a very, very strong family atmosphere. um, And I don't think that he would have offered Seth Neville's. not that we know that the offer is really on the table, but it's something that's been assumed for a while. I don't think that that offer would have been extended to Seth Neville's if he didn't think fairly highly of Seth as a wrestler in his own right, in addition to Nick and brother AJ, who's actually going to be joining Penn State um, after a year deferred as M- Mason Mando did.
0: Doesn't Stevenson's recruitment kind of depend a lot on whatever happens at Minnesota, you know, with the issues they've had there, and not to rehash those issues, but, I mean, he's a Minnesota kid, uh, you know, good friends with Freddie Stroker, who, who wrestles for Minnesota. It seems Absolutely. like, you know, that recruitment should go through Minneapolis, but with the recent turmoil there, it's kind of opened things up.
1: It's going to be a very, very important hire for Minnesota. I think, um, in the end, Gable wants to at Minnesota, and that's just pure conjecture on my part. I think he wants to stay home. I think he wants to wrestle with his brother, Bobby, who's already on the team. I think he's very comfortable at Minnesota. But if they don't bring in a head coach that he feels can provide him with the coaching that he needs and the support that he needs, then it's very, very possible that you also see him end up somewhere else. As long as it's not Iowa. Very much so. Um, I think we've had, it's been floated around that Minnesota and Ohio State are kind of out there right now. But, uh, again, I think if they make the correct hire, which it would not at all surprise me to see Minnesota make the correct hire, you're going to see Gable Stevenson competing for the Golden Gophers.
0: Yeah, that, that's what I feel too. Uh, Minnesota is still the favorite there, but uh, you never know. I mean, he's the kind of talent that Kale Sanderson definitely has to take him on the he's interested, regardless of, um, you know, Funding, you know, you, you find a way to bring in a kid like Gable Seveson to your Absolutely. He, he, he's that good of a wrestler.
1: As we said, I don't see Kale turning away anybody that caliber. And We see it time after time. If Kale gets the opportunity to bring in top talent, then it's going to happen.
0: We haven't even really mentioned, you know, we're talking about this 2018 class. We haven't mentioned in-state studs like Sammy Sasso um, and then Gavin Hoffman out of Montoursville. Um and both of those kids are kids that you could very well see in that 2018 class for Penn State.
1: You look down the flow rankings for 2018 and kids that have been kind of tossed around with Penn State. You see Sasso in state. You see Hoffman in state. You see David Carr, number three overall out of Ohio, that has had some kind of talk tossed around with him in Penn State. You see Ja'Cory Teamer at New York who's been tossed around with Penn State. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, Aaron Brooks at 30, there's an abundance of talent in that 2018 class, and many of whom have been at least loosely tied with the Penn State program.
0: Yeah, it should, uh, it should end up being a really, really great class. Uh, it would be interesting to see how that class finishes. Of course, you know, that's in the future. Uh, but, you know, coming up, we're here real soon. The NWCA All Star Classic uh, just this weekend um, coming up here, um, and we don't think there's going to be any Nittany Lions in this uh, in the field. I mean, there's two unannounced spots right now at 149, 174. We don't think either one of those could be filled by uh, Penn State guys, but there are some interesting matchups still, you know, in in, in the meet.
1: Absolutely, I think it's i uh, it's more than. Overdue that we get some actual real life college wrestling. Uh, you get a matchup, a bunch of matchups of All Americans. You get, a, a, you get to wet your appetite for the season. Um, we've seen some fantastic NWCA matches in the past, and it looks like this year in, in Cleveland they're going to put together another really, really strong card.
0: I'm really interested to see one guy who was in the Penn State room this summer, actually, uh, training with his good friend, Bo Nickel. And that's Bryce Meredith, last year's NCAA runner-up at 141 pounds out of Wyoming, taking on Anthony Ashnell. That should be a real interesting match and a real uh, contrast of styles between those two.
1: I think you hit the, the nail on the head there with the contrasting styles. I mean, Ashnault is nonstop pressure, 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 but Meredith has shown he can be as funky as he needs to be, especially in some of his wins at NCAA's last year and coming really, really close to winning a national title over Dean Heil. Uh, I think you'll see Arsenal get the legs, but it would not surprise me at all to see Meredith win a couple of scrambles and come out on top in that match.
0: The biggest star power in the field has to be at 184, where last year's defending national champs at 174-184 will meet in uh, Miles Martin out of uh, Ohio State, and then two-time defending champion Gabe Dean from Cornell and that's another match where you have some contrasting styles, but more so contrasting body types.
1: It'll be interesting to see uh if you watched Ohio State off, uh, you could see uh Miles Martin is a full-grown man at 184 and a lot of people myself included were concerned with how he's going to handle the size and strength of Gabe Dean, especially getting out from under Gabe Dean, but if Miles actually has the strength that it appears he has, you could be in for a very, very, very interesting wrestling match.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be a really interesting match and maybe a title preview at one of Martin Martin's such a great athlete. Um and then, you know, the other match that really jumps off the page to me is Ty Walls versus Connor Medbury at 285. You know, obviously Kyle Snyder is the huge favorite at 285. Um You you can't really explain how big of a favorite he is there. But there's an argument to be made that these are kids number two and three at
1: 285. I can't thank you enough for touching on this match because I am very excited to see Connor Medbury back in action after an Olympic redshirt year. Uh, Ty Walls, who's built like he's chiseled from stone, is another just unbelievably fun heavyweight to wrestle or to watch wrestle. Um, It's two heavyweights that really are indicative of the way the heavyweight wrestling is going, whereas it's no longer slow plotting matches, but guys that can really get after it. Uh, I think you're going to see some really fun scoring, especially from a guy like Walls, who's known to put on a show. Um, and I'm, I really hope that they cap the night with that match because I could be the best one of them all.
0: You've got to think they're going to cap the, the night with Martin and Dean though, right? I mean, the, you know, the two champions in the field, like, it's got to be those two.
1: I think the defending national champions in the field and Miles Martin almost on home turf as, as a Ohio State Buckeye competing in Cleveland will probably cap tonight. But, again, I can't tell you how, enough how much I'm looking forward to that Walls-Medbury match.
0: And then, you know, from a Big Big Ten perspective, at 133, the Eric Montoya from Nebraska and obviously Zane Richards of the Illinois Illini. I is it's an interesting match for uh Big 10 wrestling fans to look at. Richards, you know, was really really strong last year. Uh Dave Foreman in line Jordan Conway fits. Uh, but but Montoya is a pretty solid wrestler too and it wouldn't surprise me with his wrestling style if he made a really big leap forward this off season.
1: I think you're going to see a lot of very strong takeaways from this match. There's a lot of people myself included that think that Zane Richards might be on that first tier of 133 pound wrestlers with Nathan Tomasella now moving up and Corey Clark. Um, Richards wrestled Clark very well last year. Um, I think you're going to see a clear delineation between that top tier and everyone else. Uh, I could see Richards kind of running away with this, not necessarily a major decision, but by four or five points and if he doesn't, it starts to make you wonder how much ahead guys like Thomasello and Clark are of the rest of the field.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if Montoya beat him, I
1: don't think. I don't, I'm very hot and cold on Eric Montoya. I think there's times that I've watched him wrestle that I thought, thought very highly of him. Um, I don't know if he has the offense to to take out Richards. But, again, you got to give credit to the NWCA for putting on a match with two All-Americans as they have. You look at this, this card, I mean, multiple, multiple matchups of All-Americans.
0: Why do you think that there's going to be no uh, Penn State kids in this field? Is, is it something personal between the staff and NC- NWCA? Does Kale just not see the value in it? You know, what's the thought process here um, why Penn State doesn't have anyone in the match? I mean, you see... A lot of a lot of the other top programs uh, featured here, but uh, you know Penn State is certainly a notable absence.
1: It's very interesting. Um, I believe it might have even been Jason Bryant that said a week or two ago that the NWCA starts with returning all Americans and goes down the list in terms of invites. So it's not like it's just Penn State turning down invites. Uh, I think you see a lot of wrestlers weighing risk reward. I mean, there's no. Other than the exposure and maybe a tough test, the risk, I think, far outweighs the reward, especially coming to injury. And I think a loss looks a little worse than a win looks good. Um, I don't think you see necessarily guys backing down from a challenge, but I think you see guys just making very calculated decisions on whether they want to compete.
0: So it looks like we're going to have to wait until uh, two Fridays to see uh, Penn State in action. Uh, at Army West Point, because um, I mean, it appears to me that these these empty spots will not be filled by any lines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think with a week leading to the N- NWCA, that you're not going to see two Penn Stateers come out of nowhere. Uh, that leaves us with, I believe, ten days from the day we're recording this to the first match of the season against Army West Point, and I think there's. Certainly, a lot of intrigue heading into that match for Penn State.
0: Yeah, and Army isn't that bad. You know, Army has some kids that are pretty decent at, at some weights. So,
1: absolutely, I think uh, there, there's a lot of unanswered questions for Penn State that you're going to learn in that first weekend. Um, some lineup questions—I don't want to say holes—but lineup questions that are going to be answered at least initially. You're going to find out when they roll out against Army, and I think you're really interested to see uh, a couple of guys who we haven't gotten to see wrestle at least on the uh, for, in the starting lineup for Penn State last year.
0: Yeah, and uh, it'll be a nice setting too for Penn State to get to go up to West Point. You know, certainly a, a historic campus to you know to start your season, and, and that'll be a fun trip for, for those guys.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I'm looking forward to breaking down those matches uh, in the coming week. I think you're going to see, I mean, the Army guys aren't going to lay down. Not not that any of these wrestlers are going to lay down, but I think that there's something instilled in you when you go somewhere and wrestle somewhere like Army that you're going to see a heck of a fight, and it's a really special, special time for Penn State to be able to get up there and wrestle a match on that campus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the group way to start the season for the New York Lions before they come home that Sunday to face the Stanford Cardinal, led by Joey McKenna. It's going to be a tough opening weekend, not to be too far ahead of ourselves. But uh, for Jimmy Goulman especially, he gets, uh, he gets NCAA returning match winner at 141 pounds, Logan Everett, who, ups- who upset a seeded wrestler in the first round last year at, um, at the NCAA tournament. And then, obviously, he's going to get uh, Joey McKenna. Um, someone who a lot of people picked last year to win the whole the whole thing at 141. Uh, he's going to get Joey McKenna on Sunday. So, you know, Jimmy probably has the, the toughest test out of anybody.
1: Yeah, we've seen it time game. and again. Uh, Kelsey Anderson's not afraid to make his, season, make his guys fight to start the season. I mean, you saw it with Virginia Tech two years in a, a row last year and the year before. You saw it with Stanford last year. Cal State Bakersfield wasn't a pushover last year. It had some tough guys. These uh, aren't easy warm-up matches. I mean, I wouldn't even call them warm-up matches. You're kind of just thrown right into the fire as a Penn State wrestler.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I I don't want anyone to underestimate... I mean, listen, Penn State's not going to lose to either one of those programs, but, I mean, uh, there are some matches that that will need to be won. Um, However, uh, Penn State doesn't really have a lineup set in stone yet, uh, and there's been some interesting results in the mat room in wrestle-offs.
1: Absolutely. I think the uh, the biggest questions for Penn State are at 74 and 84, with Bo Nickel presumably moving up. Um, word out of the room was that there was the first of what sounds like it's going to be three matches now between Bo and Matt McCutcheon for that 184-pound spot. It'll be interesting to see where. Both of those end up. Um, word out of the room was that Bo won the first match on a late overtime takedown that some are calling a controversial. Got, got the tight win there, but um, by all accounts, again, it, we're heading three matches, and that one in Matt McCutcheon. A healthy Matt McCutcheon is as dangerous as almost anybody in the country. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how that sorts out. And then again. If either of those two head back down to 174, if Gino Morelli is wrestling at 174, if Shakur Rashid is there, if Brian Brill is there, not a, uh, Darth of talent for Kale Sanderson and Co.
0: Well, and Nichols struggled in wrestle-offs last year too. Uh, you, you, just mentioned Brian Brill. Uh, he lost to Brian Brill last year in a wrestle-off, uh, and then went on to lose two matches all year. So I, I don't think that, uh, Penn State fans should be too panicked, uh, that he wrestled a very close match with McCutcheon, especially when you consider that healthy Matt McCutcheon is, is no slouch of a wrestler.
1: Some really funky things happen in the room when, you, when you're wrestling guys every day. Uh, guys get their tendencies. Guys get little tricks. I think last year we saw Gary Dinmore uh, beat Jimmy Gugelbon, I believe. Uh, Flo just showed something recently, um, offs a couple of years ago where Gary Wayne Harding from Oklahoma State beat Dean Hile. Um, so when you're messed up with guys in your own room, it's it really tends to be a toss-up more often than not, especially if the talent level is there.
0: A kid with the name Gary Wayne Harding was born to wrestle for Oklahoma State. I've always thought that.
1: He reminds me of, a. I believe one of, there was a cowboy from one of the Mighty Duck movies. Well Yes, of the yes, yes. And yes, yes. whenever the name Gary Wayne Harding comes up, that, that's the first okay. thing that I'm reminded of.
0: Yes, Mighty Ducks. I'll make lots of Mighty Ducks references throughout these podcasts. A great a great piece of 90s nostalgia.
1: We are very pro uh pro Mighty Ducks over at Black Shea Diaries.
0: Mighty Ducks D2 is the best one, right?
1: Absolutely. Okay,
0: that's good. Some people don't think that.
1: That's, hey, people are entitled to their opinions here, but we're we're gonna hopefully stick to wrestling and not slate people too much for their bad movie opinions.
0: My X D2 is a classic. Um, but yeah, so you know, some interesting results in the in the room, that that bone the match, but it just shows the depth Penn State has and not to get too ahead to the upper weights, because we're really gonna do a strong focus on the lower weights today. But I mean it's uncertain at the upper weights or Penn State but not in a bad way, necessarily. Um, I mean, it's more like, you know, who's going to be the stud here and who's going to be the stud there. It's not so much, oh, man, we have no one to wrestle 174. We have no one to wrestle it, it It's it's a good kind of problem to have uh, for Coach Kale.
1: If you have four guys, four returning NCAA guys, all of which could feasibly wrestle 174, if you think McCutcheon could possibly get down to 174, it speaks volumes about the depth of your program. Um I said to a few people it would be a, a dang shame that if Matt McCutcheon can't find a way into that lineup. And I think he will because he's just that level of wrestler that you do will keep that out of the lineup. That's gonna be a major point scorer if he's healthy.
0: I'm not so sure if he's gonna find a spot in that lineup. I, I I'm not so sure. I I really like Shakur Rashid at one seventy four. Um and, and I, I like Bo to beat him out at 184. I I, I think it could be top sledding for McCutcheon.
1: We shall see. I mean, you mentioned today we're kind of touching. We're, we're going to dig really, really well into the uh, first five weights. But uh, it'll be interesting to see where we're at come next week when we do the back half of the lineup and see if we have any more wrestle-off news.
0: Let's get into the 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 first five weights. Uh, you know, starting off 125. It's going to be really really weird to not see Nico Megaludis leading off matches. I mean, I know he took that red shirt year, which he didn't lead off, but he was still in the back of your mind, like, oh, you know, Nico will be here next year, or you know, Nico this or Nico that. There is no more Nico in a blue and white uh, Penn State singlet, but. uh we don't have to change the spelling of the first name too much with uh, stud freshman Nick Seriano coming in.
1: My excitement level for Nick Seriano is palpable. I mean, it, it's really ridiculous how excited I am for this kid. 159, no, in New Jersey. Is that good? Four, I think that's okay. I mean, not losing seems like a pretty good idea for a wrestler. Uh, 4 times state champ. Darn near impossible to take down. Some of the best hips I've ever seen. Maybe the best folk style match I've seen of all time with Dayton Fix at Flo's Who's number one event. It's ridiculous how excited I am to see this kid once he gets in the Penn State room. And nothing against Bergen Catholic, but when you get this kid in the room with Jordan Conaway and with Nico Megaludis and with Casey Cunningham, it's just... I think the sky's the limit for the kid.
0: Well, uh, didn't didn't Christian Piles pick him to win at all? Or am I mistaken there? He picked him pretty
1: high. I think uh, CP took him took him second behind Thomas Gilman. Um, I may be mistaken. He'll finish
0: I'm not sure he's going to win it. But he will beat Thomas Gilman.
1: I just don't see with guys like... Working with guys like Nico every day, how anybody takes the kid down. I mean... We see freshmen often struggle to get out from bottom, so that's a slight possibility, maybe a slight worry going into the season, but he just doesn't get scored on, and that's a really, really effective way to win wrestling matches, as Jason Sarchis will tell you.
0: And we've seen Gilman struggle against kids that frustrate him defensively, uh, especially last year in the NCAA tournament in the finals against Nico. He made you know, a bad shot or two against Nico, then Nico turned into points. Um, because, he, he, you know, he just got impatient. And that's kind of what Soriano does to elite wrestlers. He just bugs the crap out of them for a while, and they do something dumb. And, I mean, he he's very good at, at capitalizing. It's it's almost a little bit like Kyle Dake. And this is coming from someone who, uh, admittedly, is not a Kyle Dake fan. But, you know, Dake had that ability to just drive an opposing wrestler crazy. Because you yeah. just wanted to score on the kid. You wanted to score on the kid. And, you know, you took one bad shot and, you know, you you were counted for two.
1: Suriano does this funny thing where he'll have occasional matches, not often, where you're like, okay, he's not killing lesser competition, what's up? And then he'll have times where Luke Karam, coming off of a ridiculous hot streak for Bethlehem Catholic last year, was flying into the Super 32 finals and Suriano puts him on his back and pins him. And it's just, he's. I mean, they always joke at, at Flow about a kid that's great when the lights come on. Nick Suriano is a kid that is great when the lights come on. And I think he's built for the NCAA tournament and built for Penn State wrestling.
0: I've seen the nickname Cyborg thrown around with Suriano. It's like, is, is that what the consensus is?
1: I'm not going to argue it. I, I mean, I have yet to see the guy gas, and that seems pretty uh, indicative of a, of a cyborg. Uh, I love the attitude. He seems to have that Terminator push-through attitude. So I am 100% here for Nick the Cyborg, Soriano.
0: Yeah, he is something else. And he had that profile on Sports Illustrated, too, it's, uh, on Sports It's not often when high school wrestlers get profiled on, on
1: SI.com. Absolutely. I think it just speaks to his accomplishments in a state in Jersey that has an outstanding high school wrestling scene to just kind of blow through the competition there. I mean, the last couple of years, there wasn't a doubt. I mean, you, you had to be ridiculous to think that somebody was going to beat Nick Suriano.
0: It's strange how he and Spencer Lee haven't really met up over the past couple of years. You know, they met up. A while ago, when Lee was, I believe, an eighth grader, right, and and Suriano beat him, um, but obviously a lot's changed for both wrestlers in the last four years. It's going to be really interesting. Once, unfortunately, Spencer Lee is wearing black and
1: gold, as I tears start running down my face because that makes me so sad. If but, uh, I recall correctly, uh, we said Suriana got Spencer when Soriano was in ninth grade. And Spencer was in eighth grade. Uh, Spencer returned the favor the next year. I believe both at Super 32. Both one-point one victories late in the match. Um, i said to you numerous times that if I needed to have any wrestler up against Spencer Lee, that Nick Seriano was that guy. And I am very, very excited to see the results because somebody's going to end up getting broken. And it's going to be a physical hard seven-minute match and may go to OT, and we may see it many, many times over the years.
0: Or, you know, Spencer could just solve the problem and and flip from Iowa to Penn State and make everyone happy. Hey, there's still time. Still time. That's right, Spencer. If you're listening, Spencer, see the light, buddy. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See the light. Follow the championships.
1: We're going to be filling in a... Another hole in the lamp, aren't we?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you consider Jared Cortez waiting in the wings a hole, then I guess, sure. But it's like, I mean, it's a hole that you have a plug to, like a, a perfectly fitted plug.
1: Can we call Jared Cortez a, a flex seal? Because I believe that's pretty tacky, but I'm, but I'm loving the flex seal then. Um, I said to, I believe it was Christian Piles of Flower Wrestling Radio that, if Jared Cortez doesn't come out to Neil Young's Cortez the killer, I may just stop going to Penn State wrestling matches because it's just so perfectly fit for him. Um, another guy that I'm super excited to, to see in a Penn State singlet in the lineup. Uh, I think Cortez has about as high as a, an upside as anybody coming into the lineup. Uh, transfer from Illinois, multiple times state champion, just really creative offensively. Uh, beat Jordan Conaway last year at Middie Line Open. I know we mentioned that if you're wrestling guys in your room, maybe the results aren't necessarily indicative of how you're going to do, but I would be shocked to see Jared Cortez not end up as a mid-to-high AA this year.
0: And that's a weight where no one like really, really scares me as super good across the country. Like, I mean, they're very good kids. I mean, Tomasello's very good Corey Clark's very good. Joseon Richards, very good. But there's no absolute hammer. There's no Zane. There's no Kyle Snyder. There's no Jaden Cox. That's, well, Corey cool, Clark, that's an open weight, relatively.
1: Corey Clark lost to Jimmy Goldman, who we'll get to eventually. So J- Corey Clark is as beatable as anybody. I love you, Jimmy. But just throwing that one out there. Uh, I think is going to be a bit of a freak at 133. Um, there was talk that he was struggling with weight a little bit towards the end of last year and still it came was very, very, very close, very, was very, very close to uh, an NCAA title. I know he lost in the semifinal, but lost no T, and then had already won the Big Ten title. Um, but again, I, I don't see... Nobody's unbeatable. I'll, I'll definitely give you that one. I, th- I think Tomasello is gettable. I think he also might be uh, rideable by a guy... That, like, Cortez, who's pretty long for the weight and, like, give some guys some trouble on top. Like, the thing with
0: me with Nathan Tomasello is, and I was saying this going to the tournament last year, is that he's a very good wrestler at 125. I mean, he was a defending national champ and was darn close. I mean, no offense, Nico. I love you to death. But, I mean, Tomasello with an early wing and probably beats Nico, again, for that title if, if he gets by Gilman in the semis. But to me, that I think it was just because Nato was so strong for 125. I think that was his biggest advantage. And I'm not saying he's not a great technical wrestler. He is. But he's not an elite, elite technical wrestler. You know, the way that Zayn is, for instance, where you know Zayn can go up a weight in 157 and, down, and probably win the national championship. And the only guy that would beat him is, the, is Nolf in his room. I worry about Tomasello losing that strength advantage. I mean, uh, obviously this is against great competition, but, you know, he got beat up pretty bad on the freestyle circuit wrestling, you know, some of the top seniors. Um, so I, I worry about Tomasello going up away, losing, in my opinion, his biggest asset, which is he was just a Hulk at 125. I mean, he's not going to be a Hulk compared to Zayn Richards or, you know, you know, kids like that. He, he's just not going to be.
1: It'll be cert- it'll certainly be interesting. Um, I think you're going to see a bit of a quickness advance because I think he was quicker than most one twenty five pounders. Uh, you're definitely going to see that quickness translate. I think I don't think he's going to have an issue with weight. Um, there were a few people that said that nation might not be the strongest at one thirty three, and we saw how that played out. Because I mean, I I don't think that stronger than Cody Brewer, but you you didn't see that as an issue for him. Nishan's a
0: better wrestler than Tomasello, though.
1: I think slightly. I mean, I I think very highly of Nathan Tomasello. I I think Nathan Tomasello is going to be able to get to his offense. I think he's going to get in on those shots. And if he can get in on those low singles, he's worked pretty well. I don't think it's going to matter whether he's not the strongest, whether or not he's the strongest guy in the world. Because I think technique-wise, he's going to get your leg in the air and get you down, so it won't really matter.
0: Some of the older guys in the in the Penn State room, some of the uh, the knitting line wrestling club guys, are really really optimistic on Cortez. Though I mean they've been on social media, um, you know, publicly saying you know just wait till you see Jared Cortez, you know, iron sharpens iron, all that stuff. And I I hope they're right for sure. I mean Cortez had some potential. He's a former top fifteen recruit, great athlete. Uh, I I just think he needed to be in a room like Penn State's to really reach full potential.
1: Well, like you said, I mean, Cortez is was a super stud coming out of high school. There's nobody mistaking Jared Cortez's talent. Um, there's a reason he didn't lose last year. There's a reason people are so excited to see him. I just think having not seen him for two years, maybe people have forgotten a little bit. So he'll definitely have a chance to make an early impact.
0: Yeah, that'll be one of the more interesting weights to watch uh there at one thirty three. The last time Penn State had a guy at a lower weight to transfer, his first year, that turned out pretty well.
1: Yeah, um if that works out just as well for Jared Cortez, I'm uh I think I'll be okay.
0: As long as it's more than one year, right? Like as long as he like doesn't get in trouble with the law
1: in his year for more than one year.
0: Unless yeah, I'm not
1: know. gonna I'm, I'm not gonna touch on that one too much, but uh, don't do that, Jerry Cortez, please.
0: Jay Bird seems like a cool kid, uh good kid, so I don't to worry about that. Let's go up another weight to a former Nindy line, 133 thirty three pounder. The Enigma himself, Mr. Unpredictable, Jimmy Gulabon, Clay. The most important question about Jimmy Gulman is this is his mullet the best haircut in NCAA wrestling or the worst?
1: No, it's getting cut. And I'm thinking that when Jimmy Goluban gets to the senior AA, because it's going to happen. And I say that as somebody who wasn't overly high on Jimmy Goluban coming out last year, um, that hair needs to go. I'm sorry, Jimmy. It, it's, it's bad. Somebody in the room needs to tell him it's bad. Um, I don't know whether that's what's holding him back, but I won't say that it's not what's holding him back. Jimmy, Clippers, buddy, they're bad. You, you got it's got to go.
0: It's not as good as uh, Sammy Brooks's mullet last year. I mean, it, it's just not even a good mullet.
1: It's a bowl cut that grew in the back. I don't know. If, <laughs> it's a bowl uh, Jimmy, cut mullet. <laughs> Jimmy, I don't know if you have a girlfriend, and if you do, I'm sure she's a great girl. But she needs to smack some sense into buddy because that thing is terrible. He took I mean, the worst really, hairstyle really of trash. the
0: 80s. He took the worst hairstyle of the 80s, combined it with the worst hairstyle of the 90s, and it's like, I'm rolling with it.
1: But Jimmy Gulabon, the wrestler. Let's get to that because uh, I believe Jimmy Gulabon was Christian Pyle's 2015 uh, NCAA championship pick. So Did that was a work bit out. bold. But... Uh, we're going to turn it around. We're going to get it turn, turned around. I mean, he's got potential. On any given day, he
0: can beat anyone.
1: That's what's so frustrating is he can get the shots. I mean, uh, Wrestling Nomad over over Flow I mentioned the Darth of statistics for wrestling, which is really, really frustrating because I would love to see the conversion percentage numbers on shots because... I think Jimmy Goldman may have converted the least amount of good shots last year of anybody in the country. He was in deep so often and just got nothing out of it time and time again.
0: And that was against some good wrestlers. I mean, I remember he was in deep on Dean Heil a couple times, um, on the uh, the younger Jordan kid from Ohio State, Micah Jordan, who he beat at Big Tens, but he could have beat him at the BJC duel. If I'm not mistaken here, Clay, he, like guys. he just I mean, got to he- learn to finish. And a lot of it is confidence with Jimmy. You know, uh, he he said well-documented confidence issues since he got to Penn State. But if he can stay hot for a whole season, you know, that's another way. Again, I was talking about, you know, rates without super hammers. There are some very good wrestlers at 141. I mean, D- Dean Hile is a kid who just knows how to win. You've got Joey McKenna, great natural talent. You know, obviously, you bring back Bryce Meredith, um, who we talked about earlier. But that's kind of a, an open weight too, where, I mean, if he wrestles well, it's not, it's not beyond his talent level reasonably to be top four on the podium, at least. I mean, it's, it's not out of the question. It's just a matter of Jimmy having a good weekend at the right time.
1: Absolutely, and uh, you look at NCAA rankings when you go into the preseason and try to project points, which is just a ridiculously silly thing to do to begin with because guys move all over the place, guys get injured, you can't factor in bonus points. But one of the things you mentioned when you look at team scoring is mobility, and I think Jimmy Goulin has as much upward mobility in the rankings as anybody in the country because he's such a wild card. And a lot of people talked about him struggling last year with the weight change, and I think some of it, more than the weight, was a lot of it was height. I mean, if that makes any sense, Jimmy would get in get a guy's leg shelved and not be able to take the other leg out from under him. Because Jimmy's not a tall guy. I mean, he doesn't have long limbs. So I think a lot of it for him was either not being able to take the other leg out using, using a leg to sweep or not being able to get the second arm around to give himself a takedown. He really struggled, I thought, with height last year and some of the issues with finishing. But if he can figure out ways to convert shots more quickly and more efficiently, he's got as much upward mobility and rankings as anybody in the country.
0: And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think a key for Jimmy at NCAAs, and this is looking really far ahead, but I, I I think this is a valid enough point to bring up, is who he wrestles when in the tournament. And last year, you know, I was lucky enough to go to NCAAs for the first time, and that's something I really started paying attention to at the tournament, is who are you wrestling when? You know, if you get one of those guys, one of those bigger wrestlers, let's say for instance an Anthony Ashnell, play, who, you know, quite frankly, Ashnault pounded Jimmy in the Big Ten Finals last year. But if you think about it, Ashnell's a bigger kid at 141, probably struggles with the weight, like making weight at that weight a lot more than Jimmy does. And in the Big Ten Finals, you know, the weighing in structure was a little bit better for him Um than it would be, let's say, on a Friday night at NCAAs. So, like, if Jimmy can kind of wrestle some kids who are a little bit small, who are kind of his size, he can beat them with technique, like on Thursday morning or Friday morning. Those are the two matches I'd be worried about with Jimmy um, because that's, that's when the kids are going to be closest to their weight. You know what I mean, Clay? Um, Absolutely. But, but if he draws that hammer, like an national Friday night where, you know, I mean, because you have to remember you have to make weight against Saturday morning.
1: You, know, you mentioned the kids, uh,
0: yeah, the, the kid's starving. He's got to be weaker. You know, you saw it last year with Tomasello. gets taken to his back. Isaiah Martinez, another kid struggling with weight, almost get, got taken to his back. He didn't give up points because he's a wizard. He's a real life wizard. But you know, he still got taken to his back <laughs> uh, in that match. That's the thing. Like for him, it's so matchup dependent. And if he can just draw the right kids at the right time, he can make a run.
1: You mentioned it particularly with Astel. Ashton. Astel's a big kid. I believe uh, a year or two ago, he wrestled Chenzo Joseph, and I believe it was at 66 kilograms, which is only around, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 144, 145 pounds. But that was day before Lands and freestyle. So he's probably wrestling 150, 150 plus. And Chenzo, we've seen how he blew up. So Astol, I mean, a really, really big, really athletic kid who – just does not match up well with Jimmy. I mean, he matches up well with Jimmy. Jimmy does not match up well with him. But, uh, there but are it, definitely kids out there. It depends there when
0: they wrestle though, Clay, is my point. I mean, if if, if if he catches them at, whether it's at Big Tens or it's at NCA's, if he catches a kid like Ashnal at the end of the day where you have to weigh in the next day, Ashnell could be in trouble.
1: I can see it. Uh, again, I, I am not completely sure that Jimmy's issues were all down to size. I mean, I think they're obviously not all down the size, because if they if they were, he would have seen him win a few matches against guys his size. Um, but Jimmy's just, he has a lot to figure out, but the talent is clearly there, and we've seen it time and again. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes up and which Jimmy Global you see, because I get the impression that we're going to know a month and a half into the season what we're going to be getting from Jimmy Global all year
0: played play devil's advocate to that, you know, you saying we'll know early. I agree that the schedule sets up like that, but he's been so hot and cold throughout the year. It wouldn't surprise me if he beats, you know, if he comes out and wins those two matches opening weekend, and then struggles the rest of the year and vice versa. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he loses the first two matches of the year and doesn't lose again all year. I mean, he's so hot and cold. I don't think we're going to know what we're going to get from Jimmy and NCAAs until we're in St. Louis. And it, it's NCAA time. You know, it's Thursday morning. And it's time to go.
1: I'm just going on record here. If Jimmy Goloban beats uh, Joey McKenna that first weekend, I am going to be absolutely unbearable and not let anybody uh, stop hearing about how high I am on Jimmy Goloban, how high I am on this team going forward. So the rest of the wrestling world might want to hope that Joey McKenna wins that because I'm going to be insufferable if, Joey, if Jimmy Goloban does.
0: I'm making a pledge to myself right now to not get too high or too low on Jimmy Goulburn all year long until they're handing out the medals, so to speak, at the podium at NCAAs. I'm just not – my emotions aren't going to go either way. Just going to be steady Eddie.
1: Okay. I'll be emotional enough for both of us then. I got that coming.
0: One guy who I think we know what to expect from our resident Johnny Cash fan, Zane Rutherford at 149 – Play he good.
1: I was kind of hoping that we would get something out at 149 this year, but it just doesn't appear like it's going to be there for Penn State. Um, yeah. Real, real big hole there. It's really a shame. <laughs> I tried to say that with a straight face and just it, it doesn't happen. Uh, again, another <laughs> nod to Flow Wrestling um, and Christian Piles, who did his preseason rankings and his preseason projections and just didn't even project anybody else as a contender at 149 because <laughs> just CP, is, CP is smart and it's just he's a freak. He's a good wrestler. I, I tried to come up with words just now to describe the way he beats people but he's better than you on top. You're not going to be able to ride him at all. He's becoming ridiculous from neutral in the number of ways he can attack you. He's training next to now an Olympian in Frank Molinaro and um, an Olympic gold medalist in Tatsuhiro Yonemitsu, who I believe is still with Nittany Lion Wrestling Club. What's Uh He's got Jason Dolph around him. Um, I'm sure he's wrestling up late and getting in there with guys like Mark Hall and Mark's there. It's just... I do not envy anybody that needs to line up across that map for him to shake his hand because it's going to end so, so, so poorly for all of his opponents.
0: What do you think that Zane has against Alec Pantaleo from Michigan that he just tries to maim him every time they wrestle?
1: I don't know, but he's probably took home at least one or two of, it, one, one of his arms. Um, I half-expected Zayn, who he joked about for uh, Halloween, to uh, just kind of wear one of Alec Pantaleo's arms as like a third arm coming out of his chest because he has to have one at least stored at home.
0: His Halloween costume was way better though than that.
1: Yeah, you uh, mentioned that Zayn being not only the great wrestler that he is, but now the great character. uh, What is Will Ferrell's Little Debbie?
0: Probably the best Halloween costume I've ever seen in my entire life. Nailed it. Had a little basket full of Little Debbie snack cakes. And State fans
1: need to realize that what they have in Zane Rutherford is just special. Not only the wrestler, but the character and the representative of the university. Um, we've been very blessed the last few years to have guys like Rutherford and Lewis and Taylor. But Zane is just, he's something special.
0: And he probably has the best walk-up music in all of college wrestling, in my opinion, with Folsom Prison Blues uh, blaring through the, through the rec hall speakers when it's time for him to take the mat.
1: I love that that's kind of just a warning shot. You, you hear that go off, and the other wrestler is just kind of like, ah, okay, never mind. It was fun while it lasted.
0: It triggers me. Like, if I hear it on Spotify or whatever, and, like, I hear that song, I just hear the first couple bars... And I just think about wrestling, like, mainly about Zayn beating Alec Pantaleo badly. Honestly, well, we that's just what comes to mind.
1: We mentioned Pantaleo, and shout out to my guys over at Blood Round. If you haven't checked out, check out uh, Blood Round podcast, great wrestling podcast. Um, big Big Michigan fans over there watching uh, Pantaleo get that takedown on Zane in in Recall, and then immediately regret it, knowing that it was going to end. <laughs> incredibly poorly for him, was one of my favorite moments of the year. And then watching the ensuing beatdown that Zane put on once he was nice and pissed off, absolutely a hallmark moment of last year. All right, so
0: staying at 149, I'm going to put you on the spot, Clay. Does Brandon Sorensen take second, yes or no?
1: No. I agree. I'm not sure who does. But I don't think it's Brandon Sorensen, and I'm leaning towards our buddy Micah Jordan out of Ohio State.
0: Yeah, I do not disagree with that. Uh, also,
1: Brandon Sorensen is a very good wrestler. I, I don't
0: mean yeah, that he's as so a tough to Brandon score The only person that can score on him really consistently is Zane.
1: But I think you're going to see somebody surprised. And again, it wouldn't surprise me if it was our buddy Micah over at OSU.
0: I like Le'Veon Mays, too. Really athletic. We'll have the athletic advantage against Sorensen um, that's another kid I think at 149 who could who could beat Sorensen and then I was picking on him but you know Pantelio was pretty good and he had a great summer you know making the the junior world team uh, you know, um, pantaleo has got some shots and he took down Zane and, and you know that's something that Sorensen couldn't do something that Sorensen didn't even come close to doing so
1: Pantelio's a, a remarkably confident guy it wouldn't surprise me to see him up there. Uh, LeVon Mays Don't Sleep on the Silent Eye Uh, just a super super powerful 149 pounder and one of the best blast doubles around there's just there's a wealth of talent kind of between that second and sixth area looking up at Zane who could be competing for that second spot
0: but ultimately at the end of the day barring an injury to Zane Rutherford they're competing for second place yeah
1: I also don't think that Zane Rutherford's breakable, so again, oh, knock on
0: wood. jinxed it right there. Yeah.
1: Sorry, y'all. So, 157.
0: You jinxed it. Unbelievable. Um, let's go on to another hammer. 157, a man who is going to be on a mission this year for the natural title. In my opinion, similar to how David Taylor was on a mission after he lost to Bubba Jenkins and came back and just mauled everyone. That's America's most entertaining folk style wrestler, Jason Nolf.
1: I have a quick question for you, for Nolf. Yeah. Does he get bonus points in every single match? Yes. I'm not doubting it. There's going to be some tough matchups. Uh, he's going to wrestle some really, really good guys. Um, Jason nolf what do you? How do you defend that? What? You not know, <laughs> Here's the real uh, question. Really, Here's can... the
0: real question. Do are there more than five matches all year that go like that? He doesn't get a tech or a pin.
1: More than five. I'm I'm thinking he's going to wrestle Joe Smith. I think Joe will survive. Maybe. Um. <sighs> I'm interested to see if he matches up with a friend of the podcast, uh, Max Roscoe of NC State. Uh, Max is down at 157 this year, and I think he's going to be the second or third best 157-pound wrestler in the country. I'm sure he'll give me crap for not saying he's going to be the best 157-pound wrestler well, in the country. Well, he's not better
0: than Jason all.
1: But, sorry, buddy. Uh, I think Max has an outstanding chance of hanging in there with Jason. Uh, he's going to be super, super strong down at 157. Uh, incredible top rider at 165. Um, but... I don't know if there's five guys out there that can can make it the distance. Then again, you can always go the uh, Jake Ryan route and just save as much time
0: as you can. I pity Jake Ryan this year when he has to wrestle Nolf. I pity him. Nolf will not forget.
1: It ain't going to be fun.
0: Here's my bold, kind of hot take prediction, looking ahead. I say Jason Nolf pins his way to an NCAA championship at NCAAs. <laughs> he's going I'm to not be a disagree with you. Man.
1: I'm not sure I can endorse it, but I ain't going to disagree with you. He's just got so many ways to get after you. We talked about it with with Zane, where where he's so good in all three phases, but no, for outstanding in all three phases, but his offense from neutral is just there's so many things he can do to you, and you look one way, and next thing you know, he's going the other way. And I love DT. I watched DT, and and we watched Magic Man be fantastic for some of years at Penn State, but I don't know that anybody had the, just the number of ways to get after you from neutral, as, as Jason Nolf says. It's, it's stupid.
0: He's just so entertaining to watch. I, last year, after 157, after that run of Zane and Nolf, I was, like, a little depressed every time intermission. And, like, not to, like, that's no offense to the rest of the back half. they are great wrestlers, but, like, you know, I mean, the main event of the show, let's face it, was Zane and Nolf back to back doing silly things.
1: There was a, uh, twice last year, I believe Jason Nolf uh, squared off against Kamal Shakur of UTC uh, Tennessee Chattanooga. And that poor kid just got ragdolled two separate times. And I don't know why they stand out to me once the scuffle, once the NCAAs. But it just, it was Jason Nolf, his absolute best. And for some reason now, Kamal score is tied in my brain as that kid that just got his behind whip by Jason Nolf.
0: My favorite Nolf match last year was the the Stanford match where uh, Nolf got countered uh, early in the match um, and gave him a <laughs> takedown. Like the first ten seconds, and he like scored like twenty five unanswered points in a row, or something like that. Or like not unanswered, but twenty five points in the There's match so many, in a uh... tech fall. Like he, I'm pretty sure he had 12 takedowns in a row.
1: There's so many where-were-you-when moments with Jason Dolph, and he's only been wrestling for one year for Penn State, not including his redshirt year. There's so much more fun to come.
0: I'll pull a quote out of Cale uh, Sanderson. Um, last year at the NCAA banquet, immediately after the, the, the tournament ended, you know, right after uh, Bo and Jason had suffered really hard losses, Uh, to Isaiah Martinez and then Miles Martin, respectively. Kel made a quote of, you know, there are going to be a lot of four-year NCAA champions as time goes on, and there will be very, very few Jason Nolfe and Bo Nichols. And I think that really applies especially to Jason. Like, yeah, you know, he's not going to be a four-time champ. And to be honest, in my opinion, the only wrestler that's ever going to beat him in college, Isaiah Martinez, is probably going to be a four-time champ. And his only loss will probably be to to nolf i mean imar is going to go down as one of the greatest five college wrestlers of all time but theres there's no doubt of who's more fun to watch i uh, and, and i mean it's noel he's so special i i think nolf has a chance to be right there with Dan gable as the best wrestlers ever in n c a a to not win four championships, I honest to God think that. I I, I mean he he's so talented and he's only getting better. He his, his improvement curve. Even if you go back to high school, I mean he was a awesome awesome high school wrestler. Don't get me wrong. And the kid lost once in high school in a just a classic of a match to Ryan Deal, just an unbelievable match. But I don't think anyone in high school saw this trajectory of him being this good, this fast.
1: <laughs> and that kind of,
0: and that kind of you know. Is a testament to his work ethic and his natural ability.
1: Well, and it's the ridiculous thing with all this. It's not very often you see a kid that didn't win a national championship the year before. And the next year, everyone's locking him up to go undefeated and win a national championship. I mean, you see that with guys who won undefeated the year before or won a national championship the year before, but the guy lost twice, albeit to well, Isaiah Martinez, and that's a massive qualifier, but the guy lost twice and everyone's like, oh yeah, nobody's going to touch him next year. Like, Duh. It's it's not even a, a remote thing. Again, I, I shout out for a second time to the guys over at Blood Ground. We're going over how many undefeated national champions there would be last year or next year. And they got to Jason Nolf and they're like, oh, yeah, you can put that one on the board. Because, no, nobody's touching him.
0: Yeah, and I just looked up that Stanford resolve from last year. North gives up the early takedown, scores 10 straight takedowns, then pins the kid.
1: Between that and... Um, Ripping, I believe it was Ian Brown's arm off oh, with a cement Lehigh. mixer. Lehigh, the
0: cement mixer.
1: Um, those were two of the more remarkable bats I've ever seen. And then was it? Oh, I don't remember who was filling. I think it was Ryan Bleeds for Oklahoma State.
0: Oh, but it might, oh, it might have been yes, the third yes. singer.
1: But um, he just decided that he was going to go feet to back because a takedown would give him the tech fall. He didn't want the tech fall, so he decided that okay, I'm going to play with you until I can get you feet to back in, pinning, in a pinning predicament, and then just took him over and stuck him from feet to back up 14 points.
0: Yeah, and that was in the NWCA championship duel, too. That was a big those were big bonus points for Penn State. Uh, and, you know, we're going to rely on Jason Nolf at NCAA to provide a lot of bonus points.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's part of... Uh, where Penn State kind of pulls away from the rest of the field, albeit um, a lot of really talented teams out there and a lot of talented guys who can put up bonus points. Zane's going to put up a ridiculous amount of bonus points. Nolf's going to put up a ridiculous amount of bonus points. Bo, wherever he ends up, is probably going to put up bonus points. And there's just massive, massive advantage at NCAAs where the slightest difference can matter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good look at the first five weight classes and this first Black Shoe Diaries uh, matcast. We're running out of time here, but I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, feel free to leave feedback in the comments uh, on the post. But what you guys would like to see, what you guys would like to um, see done differently and stuff like that. Next week we'll be back with a look at the uh, the upper six weights from 165 to 285, as well as a look ahead to, of course, opening weekend as the Pennsylvania Lions will travel to Army West Point and then host uh, Stanford next Friday and Sunday. Uh, Clay, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, absolutely. I'm just uh, glad to get off the, uh, off the, off the side and get going. Um, big shout out to the MMA world. You're going to see Ed Ruth uh, making his debut coming up in Bellator, and you're going to see uh, Phil Davis fighting Liam McGeary in Bellator for the uh, 205-pound title. So nice to see former Penn Staters doing some really big things. Um, I believe that card is November 4th. So keep an eye out for Ed. Keep an eye out for Phil. Uh, support our guys. I mean, they, they gave us some outstanding years at Penn State, and I think it's really big for us to pay them back whenever we can.
0: Yeah, and quickly, I just want to thank Shoe uh, Diaries editors, uh, Carrie Green and Jared uh, don't get this podcast off the ground. Uh, obviously, you know, David they, they did great work at Black Diaries. Diaries. Um, that's all we have for you uh, today on this uh, debut episode of the Black Diaries Madcast. Uh, again, I'm Garrett Carr, and he's Clay Sour Teague, and uh, have a great day, and we are
1: Penn State. Peace out, guys.